You're very welcome to World in Union, Balls.ie's weekly rugby show with me, Mick McCarthy, alongside Morris Brosnan. Tried a new intro there this week, Morris. How did you like it? New intro? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I did, yeah. I thought this, that was a reference to something from the Avengers for a second. <laughs> like, yeah. No, you, you know, you filibustered with the Avengers at the start of uh, at the start of last week's podcast. That's what I assumed was coming back. Yeah. I've since seen it. I don't want to talk about it in a rugby thing, though, but... I want to give you rugby metaphors mixed in with Game of Thrones, but I'm so conditioned to avoiding spoilers at this stage that I just don't know how to do it. I am absolutely flummoxed. Yeah. I don't know. I actually am afraid to use the words "game of" and "Thrones" in this in the same sentence. They're right the to turn your back on it, then. Yeah, people are just horrified. Like I've got Donny chasing me around the office, like like finding me to tell me not to tell him anything. <laughs> it's absolutely it's so confusing i'm never watching something the day before everybody else again that's all i know anyway look we're here to talk about rugby and not game of thrones and because i have to leave my witty uh my witty comparisons aside i will just instead tell you what we've coming up on today's show which is an interview with tom savage of three red kings people will know him as the the you know the the the, the three monster castles um crowns actually not castles what am i talking about that's dublin the three monster crowns um on twitter would probably the preeminent monster fan slash analysis um twitter account um really really interesting guy look i follow him as a monster fan i'm generally fine that he's probably the person on twitter that i tend to agree with most in nearly all of twitter especially when i'm watching rugby i tend to reply to him a lot when he's given out about other things i tend to agree with him when he's talking about the game i tend to agree with him uh you, on the other hand, I'd imagine, just just going by the two of us, and we haven't talked about this, you're probably a lot more attracted to the other side of what Three Red Kings offers, which is incredible tactical analysis, tactical breakdowns, uh, gifts that run all week about the little moments within the game that kind of show something uh, incredibly obscure that nobody would have noticed from watching TV except for about 15 of you people in the world. <laughs> You people of which I am not one, I have to admit. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, <laughs> I think it's probably, it's like, it's a level of rugby coverage. We've seen, like, in the last 15 years, we've seen total breakthroughs in terms of your traditional rugby coverage. So, you know, there's like, there's a lot of talk about people like Three Red Kings, who is a self-confessed monster fan. You know, that's the slant he's going to take on things. Yeah. And with that in mind, like, there is obviously a really kind of fundamental place for that and as well there should be because it's stuff that you don't get elsewhere like a lot of journalists will talk about this kind of stuff as as a competitor as if it's a competitor and it's not really it, it exists in its own kind of separate area so i mean i even like from a really fundamental point of view everybody all journalists are fans of rugby and there's a place for this kind of coverage within that so you've mm-hmm. got people like like Three Red Kings or Squid Rugby or 1014 Rugby or other journalists like Charlie Morgan or Murray Kinsler, guys who do that deep level ana- analysis stuff, which caters to, there's a demand for it there clearly, and it caters to them kind of kind of brilliantly. And it can exist in its own kind of bubble without, like it doesn't rival the standard coverage or match reports or breaking news that journalists do in themselves. Like remember, there was a huge debate this time last year about Irish rugby journalism and where it was going and the fact that Irish rugby had set up a invested a lot of time into their own media outlets and this was as according to Irish rugby was going to be viewed as a competitor and this things like um you, those youtube channels that i just mentioned or three kings isn't that like they're not competitors yeah. they actually can exist kind of in a, in a separate sphere and in a in that that same way i suppose that people can like it caters to enough demand like they'd have really really engaged followings 
kind of yeah. more limited in scope but they could carve out their own way in doing that and that's what I'm really looking forward to asking asking Tom about later is about the process of actually doing that about yeah. catering to an audience that is so so engaged and the kind of benefits and also negatives to do yeah. something like that and it's okay to, to write for fans as well because of course, you know yeah. like I mean I, I know myself as like I've had this renewed love affair with Aston Villa this season because they're in the literally the most exciting football season of all time if anybody's been watching it but like I follow a lot of those you know and I don't think any of them are on kind of Tom's level but a lot you know a lot of these kind of like really really committed kind of like you know interesting fan sites and it's like they're giving me what I want that's like nectar for me that I just like I want that like villa hit I want to take on how the specifics of the game is going that isn't offered by a national journalist that it needs to cover everything and isn't offered with the slant that you need from the fan. But I think what makes Tree Red King so unique, and, and it's not maybe not unique, maybe you've mentioned that there is a lot of this out there, is that it offers it with the quality exactly yeah. of you know um, of of the analysis and the, the the kind of punditry as well. If you kind of mix in the both of them, that you are getting elsewhere, you know. So it is actually you can understand why for Munster fans that's a very much a like give me this, this is what I want after a game. I want to know what he thinks. And even, like, you know, the, like the, as a basis, just fundamentally, like, the point about objectivity, you know, like, objectivity, like, the, I think it's... I have a lot to say in that. Um, I think, that, you know, there's something within that that say, like, if you look at a guy like, like Two Red Kings, like, Two Red Kings is patently subjective in his take. This is a monster fan's voice. And there's a lot to be said for that, even in really significant, serious issues, that he understand, like, somebody vocalise and articulate yeah. how monster fans feel, even if you don't necessarily agree with it. Like, I've always maintained, we don't get into, like, mudslinging, and I don't really want to do it on this podcast, but I've always maintained, like, there's journalists sitting in press boxes who are far less objective than somebody like Three Red Kings there, but there's this cloak of objectivity, as we saw, by the way, in some of the coverage of the monster game against Arsons. We've, mm. we've, we've seen that as well. So, like, there's no... I think there's a case to be made that at, the, at least if he's like, like patently upfront with what he's doing, it is yeah. very very clear. This is firm. And he's not sitting in Munster the press fans. box. He's sitting there with Munster fans that he he goes that's to the, the games with, and yeah. that's what he's supposed to do. Yeah. And so if you want the coverage of significant and serious issues, you probably shouldn't go to a fan to get that. But if you want to enhance your rugby experience and an understanding of the game, then the, by all means, that's why it doesn't. It's not like it shouldn't be viewed as a competitor, and people try and undermine it and say that it is. But it's, it's actually something that complements rugby coverage as a whole. Like yeah. it's just. The more that we see stuff like this, like even as you know, we as ourselves are probably a non-traditional platform in terms of being digital, and that you can see people make livelihoods from doing this kind of thing is really encouraging. The fact that you know there's an active and engaged audience who who like to follow that kind of stuff. Yeah, and we've even seen that by the way in like we do analysis of our own and our own site, and people like people that really do demonstrate for all the. <laughs> you hear all this undermining about attention spans and people no longer interested and stuff they clearly mm. do like that's not that's patently not true there is obviously a demand in that kind of stuff yeah it's funny because you know without going kind of too much kind of inside baseball or whatever there was an article that you did about a Lancer line out um, last week that was quite you know quite long and we do have kind of the uh, ability to kind of know an awful lot about like you know how long somebody's on a page for how many times people come on how much they, they stay on that is all there and the amount of time that people spent on that article was incredible it was like people reading a magazine piece you know now it was quite long and there was some videos in it and stuff like that but it was actually and and it just it just shows you 
that that attention span is there for the right kind of work and 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 for and 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 for that kind of like slightly interesting slightly newer way of doing things that that hasn't been done and obviously i'm not saying that we're the only ones format or neither is tom there's a lot of people doing it there's a lot of people doing it very well but it is new and it is untraditional and there's definitely an audience for it there all of these things are changing and they're changing quite fast and it's kind of hard to know what the new rules are you know (laughs) (laughs) but anyway look i suppose some of the rules would be that we should actually talk about rugby on a rugby show at some stage uh today um we'll talk a little bit about the games of the weekend but i wanted to start by talking about um john fogarty is leaving leinster and he's taking up a new role as the irish scrum coach Uh, this is a a very very big deal first of all like you've been talking about the the need for like uh, you know the what what will be the new you know under Farrell who's going to be the scrum coach who's going to do all these really really important little jobs that nobody talks about all that much what does Fogarty offer and you know why has this been why has this happened now yeah like yeah um I suppose just to go back to not to uh pat ourselves on the back too much but on our very first podcast we talked about the five most important coaches for ice rugby and mm. said that John Fogarty shouldn't be the next scrum coach that was back last November um, that he could yeah. clearly be it's the probably where they got the idea the <laughs> like so just to I'll just put this in context like Greg Feek had a seismic impact on Irish rugby uh, to an extent that I don't really think is fully um, maybe appreciated just before he came we had huge huge reliances on really key positions especially kind of the your prop and your tight head prop particularly and he came in and made it his brooch to establish a depth chart and bring and even to the extent where he might have you know looked at some people's careers and shipped them elsewhere or swapped you know you cases yeah. like Porter swapping yeah. the other side and things like that um just where Foley fits in and all this I'm I'm fascinated by coaches who like the the scrum guru if you were to think of the scrum guru in in the world it's Mike Cron from New Zealand this is a guy who like he is renowned he's the the leading expert in the, his field, he gives explosive seminars and this kind of thing. He coached the All Blacks, obviously, as a scrum coach. A play, somebody he coached as a player is Greg Feek. Just an interesting aside to that. And I just think it's interesting that Greg Feek is going to have the success he's had. And Fogarty, who worked with Feek, obviously, yeah. and now is going to coaching himself. There's like a, there's a just tracing that line there. And I suppose yeah, so it, it's a coaching tree, and it's there is very much a kind of a succession plan there. That's you know yeah. everything is going to plan here. There's nothing. They're not go, they're not going outside the box to change something that isn't broken. And, and I suppose what you're saying there, sorry, to, so just to go, you can go back to Fogarty in a sec, but even just on, t- so that people can illustrate where we've come from, especially, say, on the tight head side, but how good our sc- Irish scrum has been in the last few years. We had John Hayes, like a legend of Irish rugby, for there for an awful long time, you know, 100 caps or whatever it was that he got, with really no competition. He was replaced by Mike Ross, who was there for a number of years with no competition. And ultimately, it's, it has happened that, you know, Tyke Furlong has gone in there and probably will play for as long as any of them, but he's a super world-class player. But behind him, we have Porter, we have Ryan, we have, you know, who am I missing? Archer. Finley uh, Beelham as well. you know, yeah. and there's just, um, uh, like, even Michael Bent come on. <laughs> you know, he looks like a completely different player, player than yeah. the team who joined Leinster, you know, however long ago, seven, eight years ago that was. And look, that guy, I suppose, brings us back around to Fogarty. Yeah, and like, I think Fogarty's an interesting kind of, case in point because I just remember I read Mike Ross's book at the start of the year um, which was a surprisingly good rugby book and there was a there was a chapter in that where he talked about kind of the impact different coaches had on him so for example he went into do you remember that that was a 2015 the horrendous Leicester season when Cullen first came in things were going really badly a wasp of 50 points in them but I just remember there was a chapter in that where after they lost the bat they lost the bat away and Fogarty brought in 
the entire front row that started on the Saturday and the entire replacement front row. He brought them all in on the Sunday to UCD and went through frame by frame every single scrum from that game, broke it down and rebuilt it back up. And I remember Ross talking about the, the, the benefit that gave them in terms of understanding where things were going wrong and what they needed to do to fix it. Like it was absolute clarity in their own level of thinking by a guy who was clearly well skilled in, in his ability to do so. I think that's like that's ultimately what good coaching is another kind of funny aside from that book I remember when Greg Feek first worked with Leinster with Joe Schmitz the very first thing he did with that Leinster front row was um, they were all hitting you know the scrum machine as, as you do and he told them all to stop getting up on their toes because they were trying to get up on their toes for, for, for speed mm. but if you brought it back to your balls your feet it's about, all about power and that's how you manipulate your, your body it's a really simple tweak that made a huge difference on, on, on that Leinster front row's kind of career trajectories and their ability to scrummage this like it's that's good coaching to be honest they, and you can see the effects what good coaching for example Ulster lost three balls on their own feed against Connacht last October, the game they lost up there in Ravenhill. Since then, they've had, I think, nearly 99% accuracy in, in their scrum. Now, we on this show, Brent Wilkinson has spoken to us about all that Dan McFarland brought in terms of the video room and his ability to work with a set piece. And that's good coaching in, in action there. And I think that's the kind of thing that, that Fogarty w- will bring, that like real attention to detail and understanding of players that will f- afford a... A nice continuity. I also think that, by the way, that Leinster have made a really brilliant replacements in you know Robin McBride, who like is held in really high regard in, in Wales. A guy. There's not. There's a lot to be said for when Colin first started. When he very first started, he had a very Leinster centric coaching setup in terms mm. of Fogarty, Dempsey. Um, since then, you've got people like Contaponi, Lancaster, and and now somebody from Wales as well. Yeah. I, I actually think there's there's a lot to be said for that in terms of maintaining standards, like a fresh perspective, a new voice. All that stuff will 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 lend itself to. I think like not to say that it's a win win because you're obviously missing out on a really phenomenal coach, but it's not a bad replacement to get either. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's funny the. Um, I was listening to a, a long kind of discussion about, I don't know if you ever heard of the New England Patriots offensive line coach, Dante Scarnecchia, and he's like he's like nearly 80 years old and they keep bringing him back out of retirement and it's <laughs> like they, it collapses without him. And then every year they have this kind of like mediocre on paper offensive line and then two years later these guys are going to set in the market in free agency like as the best in the business yeah. Patriots just let them go get in somebody else in the fourth or fifth round of the draft and this guy makes them rebuild them the, yeah. makes them the absolute quality of the league again you know and it's 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 one of those things that there is nothing probably more important than coaching in something that is just purely technical mm-hmm. and there's nothing more technical than the scrum you know and it's like if you think about it like there's only so much you can you can make like you know Joey Carberry or you know kick for touch or you know or or have have the the understanding to know when to pass and know when to kick and all there's a lot of coaching that goes into it but there's only so much whereas the scrum is just so so technical that it's probably the most importantly the most important position to have a coach in and the, the highest ability to improve I would say as well and it's probably one of the reasons why most tight heads tight furlongs and outlier get reached their peak in their late 20s or even early 30s you know yeah anyway so that's something to that um I think you know it as you said like it, it's kind of like Feek is gone and um Fogarty's gone from Leinster but you're happy with the succession plan in both places and obviously the scrum being such an important part of the game and and such a solid part of the game for all the Irish teams and Ireland over the last few years it's massive that they just keep that going and it's especially now that you've seen how much of a platform it gives teams I think Leinster have been a real good exhibitor of this the fact that they play with 
you know this thing where they do where they've got two first receivers on either side of a, of a scrum when they line up in the centre of the field and then you know your scrum is used to get that edge to get that forward momentum and then they can break left or right and like that that's something that Stuart Lancaster used to talk about funnily enough when he was at, well, at England like the dual attack ability to attack off left or right yeah. without your opposition being able to, to predict that but the fact that so much of that kind of stuff is being orientated around your scrum as a platform I, I think is uh, is kind of telling in terms of its importance in the game right now yeah absolutely and look sure don't overlook uh, the improvement in second rows as well in the in the front in the in the the as a former second row yourself you'll you'll be quick to tell me that but uh, you know you do hear about that a lot actually is the you know the, the second row behind the tight head and how important they are um, quickly on this weekend so uh, like there's nothing to say about Ulster and Leinster neither team had anything to play for uh, third string Ulster be the third string Leinster which is you know I suppose surprising you wouldn't have seen it but they they play Connacht in the the quarterfinal in Ravenhill what's Ravenhill called these days. Kingspan, oh, Kingspan uh, Stadium, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that's that's next week. Munster don't get the home quarter final. They did do the business again against the second string Connacht. There wasn't, you know, like Connacht didn't have much to play for there. Munster will play. Um, uh, Treviso Benetton Treviso yeah. the first Italian side to make the playoffs in the Pro which 14 which is probably the is, story of Europe yeah. in terms of rugby this year brilliant story yeah. brilliant achievement like, I, I think I might have mistakenly said that Connacht were the the story of the season earlier this year that it's forgetting not, about like, Treviso yeah, yeah, yeah I think uh, it's, it's, it's obviously Treviso it's interesting like I'm curious I'm really Connacht's that game against Ulster will be fascinating especially when you look at it in a, in a monster context because I'm just thinking like Munster right now I think have certain limitations within their, their system but just have better players but Connacht's system is, is probably arguably better and it's funny I mean I was Jack Carrick did an interview on, on, on Sunday in the Sunday Times and he, uh, he was talking about you know the fact that he took kind of personal pride from the Six Nations despite the fact that like collectively it probably didn't work out as well it's, just, it's the ultimate battle within rugby you know like you're, you're, you're looking at like team versus individuals I actually think on that team right I mean you look at somebody like Ken Early wrote an article uh, I don't know if people might have read this already on the Irish Times about how individuals are no longer enough in football anymore that you actually need to have proper systems and an individual can't win you a game and I think the same is true of, of rugby like I think we're finally seeing the how far a system can bring you when you look at a team like Connacht versus maybe Munster are slightly more individual based right now like their defence is definitely a phenomenal system but especially in attack I think they're looking for one off moments of magic and I suppose to go back to the Jack Arthur example like Jack Arthur is thriving within a, within a certain system and he obviously takes pride even if the system is going wrong in his ability to play but I think if you're going to look at one learning from, from this year it's the fact that Munster don't need to if you're building a hierarchy right like a hierarchy of issues Munster don't need to go out and recruit mass new personnel to replace ones that currently exist they need mm. to refine their system first and foremost like they need to especially in terms of their attacking game plan that's what needs to evolve first this thing about doing all their moves in front of a defence and not you know engaging them or how wide they are all this kind of thing like that's that should be yeah. your priority as opposed to looking at individuals I think anyway very interesting point right very interesting idea because I have to say, after you saying that, and I'm thinking about what do I think about the match last week, or mm. or a lot of monster games that I see, you know, and I'm like, they don't have the players. Some of these guys aren't good enough. Not all of them, four or five, right? But what am I? What are we actually seeing in the game? We're seeing, you know, not really having the ideas, kind of running off center with first runners along the time, not really getting anywhere, and not having that ability to break through. And that's not down to 
a Tyler Blindell or a or like a Sweetnam or whoever it might be, you know, like I mean that that we might analyze, we might be able to pick out one moment in which they didn't do well, but it's probably down to like a system of play and a system, yeah. a style in general, you know. And until that is what it can be, then you look to probably top it up with the world class players. Exactly, I suppose you're right. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting way of looking at it. Like, like so, I, I uh, just to really stress this, obviously new personality does make a difference of course it makes a difference but the, in terms of what you should be like weighting everything towards it should all be weighted towards towards the system like Munster Connacht for example right Connacht had minimal changeover from last season to this season the changers that did come up somebody like Robin Copeland spent half the year injured but what they did have was a total overhaul of their actual system you know their system of play totally changed and therefore think about Connacht's best performers this year right think think about like your Ulton Delans your Jack Arthies your yeah. Callum Blades all, they were all there already. Like these players were there. It's just the fact that they're thriving within the system that's currently there. And then you bring, you add to that with the likes of uh, Boiler Butler again, players who were there but have just kind of blossomed out of their their own ability. And you can top that up after. But I think from a from a rugby perspective, just on that team, you know, of what um, what Canary was talking about, you you prioritize the system. And I think, by the way, for someone like Ireland, that's when that's most important. Like people yeah. talk about changeovers and stuff like that. I I think the that what your in fact what should be the main main priority is were Ireland too predictable and if so what do you change not necessarily what personnel do we drop yeah fascinating and it'll be interesting to see it'll be interesting to see what Tom Savage thinks about where Munster uh, have gone mm-hmm. this season we'll talk to him in a few minutes as we mentioned Three Red Kings just before we do though last thing was there was a very funny video that we uh, I think we put, we had it up in balls yeah. actually of uh, Joe Marler playing at the weekend uh, as, as a box kick was being set up for about a half an hour it was one of those ones where there was like about eight lads in the bridge between the rook and, and, and the scrum half, and he was just what? What was the exact line? I think he the, he shouted at Nick White, uh, "You're boring me." Or f- something. we might play it here. Perfection. Use it, please. I don't know if you could properly hear that, but anyway, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're effing boring me, um, which was like from, a, sorry, I sh- should emphasize that Marler was on the opposition. He wasn't <laughs> one of the people in the bridge or anything. But so, uh, right, like, um, just really, really briefly on this. This is a theme on this podcast that we talk about again and again and again. And it's the fact that so much of the issues within rugby right now could be fixed if they just implemented rules that already currently exist. So, um, uh, another before we speak to Tom another pretty great uh, analysis person uh, Charlie Morgan Charlie Morgan did an article after the European quarterfinals and he spoke about the amount of time that was being wasted while the ball was at the back of the rook before it was actually kicked for box six the setting up of a box six in effect so this kind of rugby conga lines that you see coming out of the, the, the back of rooks and he across the sample of those four games I think it was 40 kicks in total he saw that there was Four and a half minutes of in-game time, so that's like that's in, in-game time being wasted by the ball is coming at the back of the rook. So you, you like, I think in certain examples there, for example, Ali Price, the, the Glasgow scrum half, was taking nearly fifteen seconds to kick a ball that was yeah. at the back. When you're supposed to have five, and we've only ever seen somebody, John Lacey penalised it once in the Challenge Cup. Mm. He awarded a scrum. For, users five seconds went up. They didn't, and he penalised. Was it. it just the five seconds as a matter of interest, or was it longer? It was over five seconds. Like it a was, good yeah, bit over. Yeah, I think it might have been seven or eight. Right, okay. So it didn't just take over, yeah. I actually couldn't agree more. We spoke about this with the Rook, as you mentioned. Exactly. Like, that's what you're saying. I couldn't agree more that you implement the rules that are there. However, I do think it would be unfair for a ref to just randomly crack the whip 
I think it's kind of cruel and unusual if suddenly, say if say if, if Conor Murray is suddenly penalised for it yeah, in, the, yeah. in the quarterfinal next week, I, you know, when nobody else has been for the whole game or for the whole season, and suddenly a referee <laughs> just decides, nah, not having this. It'd be like it'd be like a soccer goalkeeper getting done for the six second rule that I've literally never seen called. You know, I think it would be slightly unfair on the players, but have a directive and put it out at the start of the season and that this is just as simple as we're pinging this now. Yeah, and or, they'll stop doing it fairly quickly. Or even you know the pre-game conversations, like if the referee would just flag it, say, "By the way, I'm coming, I'm penalising this harsh. Like, don't yeah. have, don't have this boring passage of play where nothing's happening, where you know it's you setting up a kick. Like, do it quickly. Therefore, when it happens quickly, they might be less accurate, so they'd be more contestable. So we'd actually it would yeah. enhance everything. Like, yeah. it's, it's just such a really, really basic thing. So like, well, there was lots of those suggested rules that were brought in that were probably to the detriment of the game. Well, to um, getting rid of the jackal definitely to, yeah, was, yeah. To, and to try and make it more entertaining and all, but like making it much less of a contest and much less of a sport. This is us. This does nothing to harm the game whatsoever. It makes it more entertaining and probably makes it a little bit more even and fun to watch. So nothing to lose by it. Quick rule change or quick rule implementation, I suppose. Yeah, let's do it. Um, anyway, look, we've 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 rattled on enough. Um, we're going to get to uh, our interview with uh, Tom Savage from Tree Red Kings. Isolated. Through comes Wilson. Wood trying to get through. Leamy. Wood has to be careful. There it is. It's all on this. Ronan O'Gara. Ronan O'Gara. What a finish. Right, as we mentioned earlier, I'm delighted to say we've got um, someone on the line who we've been hoping to get on the show for, for quite a while. Um, Tom Savage, uh, owner of TreeRedKings.com. You'll know him from Twitter, from uh, TreeRedKings.com, and from um, his Patreon page. Uh, Tom, probably the, the nearly the, the my go-to to check if Munster were good or bad at the weekend, <laughs> if, I, if, if I couldn't judge for myself anyway for the last while. But... Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if you've been getting a lot of that in the last kind of year or two, but uh, it definitely seems like um, it definitely seems like you're a lot of kind of us Munster fans. Sort of, uh, uh, I, I suppose you're you're the you're the one who makes the the final judgments, and not just through the the Wally ratings either. Uh, I, it's kind of like gone that way a small bit. Never wanted it myself, really, because it's just you're kind of you're setting you're setting yourself up for either being Munster's PR man or. A fellow who's always downing monster, you know, regardless of whether you're criticizing them or whatever else. But it's been no, it's been a, it's been a big year now. I'd say this this past year now is probably the biggest it's ever been, like in the time I've been doing it. So uh, it's still enjoyable anyway for the time being. <laughs> Some yeah. days it isn't, but it's <laughs> for most of the time it's pretty good. We'll get into all that I think in a few minutes because there's obviously the ups and downs of the internet world, and uh, we're just very interested in the whole the whole business model and everything about it. But first and foremost, I suppose you're a Munster fan, Tom, and you know, like. Uh, from a Munster point of view, it's been a kind of an interesting season. We, me and Morris talked about it a lot on last week's show. Is like you know after the after the quarterfinal defeat that in in so many ways it, or a semifinal defeat that it's like it's same old same old in a way as in like you're we're still losing by the same amount kind of in semifinals. It still looks that far away, but in other ways there seems to have been so much progress made. What have you made of the whole season? Uh, it's it's been a kind of a, a mixed season, really. I, I think that for, from Munster's perspective, they're kind of on a 
a, a timeline of expectation with a lot of people where they kind of you know with with Munster it's kind of constantly expected that they'd be like one of the top teams in Europe and I think they're at that level where you could say look they're solidly a top four team in Europe but you know at the same time people want a bit more and, and rightly so um, I think this year um, you know you have to look at what are the kind of the the building blocks for most clubs' success when it comes to European rugby at the top level. It's kind of, it's, for me, it's consistency. And not just consistency on the field, it's consistency of key personnel and of coaching. Munster haven't really had that, uh, either consistency of key personnel, and for that I'm talking about your 10, your, you know, your, 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 your pack. Um, I, I think Munster have had to add in, you know, uh, integrating Tyke Byrne this year, uh, integrating Joy Carberry, Johan Van Kron's first season. You know, this is the first, you know, if Johan Van Kron does out his deal that he just signed there, uh, I think it was, what, two weeks ago? Um, three weeks ago, then he'll be the, the longest uh, manager or longest coach rather at Munster since Declan Kidney. So it's like, you know, it, it's very hard to become a kind of a, a top team unless you have that either one of either settled personnel where you know who the top guy is going to be uh, on the field or settled coaching if you look at the best sides in Europe they kind of have all three look Le- Leinster are in is it year year, year three of of, of uh, Leo Cullen year two or three with Stuart Lancaster Johnny Sexton is the main man there creatively uh, then you look at like the Saracens Max McCall's been there for donkey's years Owen Farrell they're, the core of their team the likes of um, the Vunapolas Itoji um, uh, good at the back uh, at the fullback, you know, they've got a lot of consistency there. Munster, I think, this year, we're kind of up against it for me to get to, uh, I, I, I thought they might have a final in them, depending on how the opposition in the semi-final went. But, you know, I'd say we're still a level below where uh, we'd be kind of regularly looking to either go 50-50 with the likes of Leinster at full strength, Saracens at full strength, you know, the, the, the very top teams in Europe. Tom, it's interesting, I suppose, um, given where we are at the minute of the season, Peter Matney was actually asked in his press conference after that game over in the in the Rico Arena, you know, is a 16 points point differential two years, kind of both times against Saracens, has there been any improvements, I suppose? And I'm kind of wondering on your own take on that. Like, he maintained that, that there has been, that, you know, they are moving forward and that there was elements within the game, you know, when you're trying to chase a game that made it difficult to claw it back. He wasn't reading too much into the to the points differential. But on that theme, on the on the idea of improvements, have you seen enough to, to kind of weigh to that decision? Oh, uh, yeah. Look, they, they have improved, but it, uh, have they improved relatively enough to the level that they'd be able to, you know, to outstrip the teams who were ahead of them in, you know, two years ago. I don't, I don't think so. That, that's a quite a difficult thing to do. You're either looking for the other, other sides to have a dip, which Saracens had last year through injury. Uh, Leinster haven't really had a dip. You know, they, they, they've kind of, since they ascended last year up to that top level, I'd say they were kind of solid top four the, the, the year before, but like the addition of Stuart Lancaster for me really has kind of pushed them onto the next level. You know, they've got superb players as well, like don't get me wrong. But um when it comes to uh, have Munster improved, look if you look at the scoreboard it you know, it says pretty much the same point differential. Look, I do think Jerome Gar says inflated the scoreline a small little bit. You know, some of the decisions that could you know it for example, the Owen Farrell uh, shot in the air on, on uh, Mike Haley. Marginal, but when that went to TMO you'd expect that to be okay, look, penalty to, to Munster down the other end not three points to Saracens. They could have got a penalty on the very next phase if we kicked it down and lost the line out. 
But at the same time, it's you know I I think the monster did improve. Uh, I don't I don't think they've improved to the level they'd need to beat a full strength Saracen side. That's something now I think that'll be over this next preseason, the next full season again. And that's something that they'd look to try and have a crack off with another year of development under Van Fran. And, you know, if there's new coaching voices being brought in, a few young fellas coming in, pushing guys on. Um, I think there has been improvement, but relatively speaking, not enough to catch up with the teams who are already ahead. There's, you know, there's plenty of teams who'd like to be in Munster's position right now. Solid top four in Europe, second in Conference A, could have, you know, in with a shout of topping Conference A in the Pro 14 of the last day. Um, you know, should get to a semi-final in the RDS. Whether whether Munster have enough to win that one or not, you know, remains to be seen. But I, I, I think they have improved, but there's just a lot more development. There's a lot more scope to go um, with the lads who are already there. To, to come back, I suppose, to, to your own process and even on this idea of analysis, like Mick mentioned it there, that you've kind of become a, a go-to for, for Munster fans and even, you know, during international periods for Irish fans to a certain extent. I'm kind of curious about that. Like, to, there's been clearly, I think, a move within, certainly within rugby coverage towards non-traditional you know traditional forms of coverage. You look at the likes of Squid Rugby, um, 101.4 Rugby, this kind of... this boom of people trying to make a livelihood doing this sort of thing and I'm just wondering like what do you think the demand like what are you catering for that maybe the rugby fan wasn't getting beforehand well look when I started this off myself I was I was in a very desperate place you know I was like at the time I was I was I was homeless I was living in a, in a hostel up in Dublin um, I'd come back from abroad and it just hadn't worked out since I'd been abroad or when I, when I came back uh, in Dublin very expensive you know, day to day, I was always would follow rugby. I would go along any chance I would get to, you know, see some Leinster schools rugby at the time. And like I said, you know, you're the biggest disparity between the people who are normally at Leinster schools rugby and me floating around Airbnbs and hostels and whatever else. But you, you want to watch those games because I mean, they're they're they were good rugby, and you you know you enjoy when you're at the when you're at the the rugby watching a game, be it Munster at the time, if I could get a TV or follow it on social media. You escape a little bit from the, you know, the, the drudgery that might be your life at the time, or whatever bad situation you find yourself in, which at the time I, I was. I kind of thought, you know, I I, I think I can do it because I'd be following the likes of Murray Kinsella, you know, like as in cop mm-hmm. eyes. You know what I mean? Looking at that, and I'd be thinking, geez, I I think I'd like to do something a bit like that. So I just started it off really with no, with no intention that it would end up being a living you know I, I wanted to try and go and, and get involved with rugby in some way either you know be involved in you know coaching underage stuff or trying to get involved that way but it just seemed like a kind of a dream at the time you know when you're in that situation you kind of hang on to anything that's sort of like a hopeful thing even if it seems seems ridiculous um, and then as I just started covering games the, the first thing I started actually covering was the World Cup 2015 and it just started going from there, you know, where you just get, you know, more followers every day. You're tweeting about games, you know, and writing up a review afterwards and just trying to be as, you know, as honest as I can with regards to how they're doing, be it Ireland or, or, or Munster. And, you know, that year was actually terrible. It was If you were going to pick a year to start covering Munster on social media, it, it wouldn't be that year because it was awful. You know, that was the year where, there was a, you know, Munster one pretty good, losing a ton of games out of Europe early. Um, it was just one of those seasons where it just, I happened to end up writing a lot of negative articles, criticizing certain things just based on my take as to what I'd seen in it. And, um, 
you know, in, in, in the aftermath of that day, and it just started to just grow and grow year on year as I kept doing it. And I think then I got an offer to do, to write some articles for the, the Echo in Cork, and I started submitting those. Then I started getting paid from that. And then that gave me the basis then where I could kind of really focus on um, three right things as a, as a profession, I suppose, and put the hours into it and the little bits of luck you need every now and then to go from one level to the next. Because I, I, I say it all the time, like this, and if you ask me to start and do it again from scratch, I couldn't do it. Because it, it's just, there's just so much luck involved to get to the level where I'm at now, where, you know, it's, I'm able to make a living from it. You know, you, you don't delude yourself into thinking you're anything more than what you are, like, which is a social media account and a website. But, you know, it's, it's at the point now where I'm kind of, I can support myself on it, where, you know, given where I started, it's all I could have dreamed of. But it's like, it's, it's tough. It, it is tough going. It is in everything starts as a dream. When you end up doing it, then it ends up being, you know, different than what you thought. But it's, some days are good, some days are bad, but it's, um, no, it's, it's a, it's a interesting job. I, I didn't see myself doing it, but it ended up that way. I think people want to see something a bit different. They just want, because for me, rugby was an escape. So I wanted to escape into the excitement of a build up to a game and then get really into the detail as to why a certain thing happened or didn't happen or, you know, why Monster lost or why Monster won and get into the details of it so you can kind of just lose yourself in, I suppose, just the excitement of the game itself. Because I just think like, you know, a good game of rugby and when you're excited and invested in it, it's just it's just the best thing for me. So it's like, that's what I wanted to convey with the account once I got it going was to get the excitement of the build up to a game and then look hopefully try to become part of people's match day you know for good or ill it's funny you you say that because i i like if i was looking to put my finger on it myself as as you know someone who follows it was like i think you've summed it up there is that there is it's it's a very very mixture of the fan who's excited about going to the game today and it's like you know i'm up having the breakfast at you know six o'clock ready to go and here come on monster and then followed by like a really intuitive analysis that you kind of you know you don't get from somebody who's also a fan it's professional analysis and i think that is a very unique offering and i i don't know if that's something that as you said that's what you wanted to kind of get but was that kind of that like almost dichotomy kind of found by accident rather than by by design oh well it i i would always like to cover it again because i wanted to provide stuff that i like to read now i, I like reading more kinsley stuff because when I was involved myself, you know, you like looking at stuff that's technical where I was thinking, right, you can either try and make people laugh or you can try and, you know, give them a deeper understanding of something that they just saw. And I wouldn't be so, like, isn't so arrogant to say that I'm like, I'm teaching people about the game, but I like to go and say, well, look, this is what I've seen. This is the way that I would look at it, you know, and, and the way that I would like to see it broken down to me. So I'll put it out there and I kind of let it up to people, whether it was people thought it was rubbish or people thought it was whatever, uh, you know, they, they would at least, you know, I find out sooner or later if people thought it was going to work or not. But uh, for me, it was just, um, I just liked the idea of you either kind of try and entertain people or you try and, you know, be something useful for them. Because when you're not any of those things, there's no real reason for anybody to follow you. 
I suppose there's an interesting kind of uh, contrast in what you do as well, because all of us, uh, you know, at one element, weigh up this decision about about the internet and about Twitter as a platform, kind of all the good it brings, and then yet, you know, it can be kind of a, a dark and horrendous place at times as well. And for your own sake, then, I mean, you're obviously relying on it as a platform for for, for a livelihood. Like it certainly enhances mm-hmm. your own work, but there is this this you're still probably more exposed to the, the kind of the horrendous stuff that can be on that platform. And I'm wondering, like. The, trying to navigate that that difficulty, I suppose. How have you found that? Yeah, it's it can be a real pain sometimes. Like I can it, it, you know, because like I was saying there the other day, I, I was I was on a different podcast with uh, Tom O'Mahony, and I was he was asking about like the social media aspect of it. And the thing is, you you can't be yourself doing an account like that on uh, on Twitter. You have to be an exaggerated version of yourself because if you 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 just get hurt yeah. if you're on social media like that. You can end up being like I know people going about like that. It's like it's not like cyberbullying or anything like that. But it's just that on certain days and certain events, you can see your mentions after a big game, for example. I think well, I'm not sure what game it was, but we'll say that I I hate Monster Leinster games because the build up to those on Twitter and social media, it's just it's a head wrecker. You know, mm. like you're saying, I, I used to have a thing before where. I would never block anybody because, you know, you kind of had this idea you wouldn't give anybody the satisfaction of doing it. But I'd end up then in a situation where you're just constantly having the same head showing up again and again and again trying to troll or trying to do this, that, and the other. And it's just, after a while, it just has to get mentally exhausting just seeing the, the numbers creep up on, because on, on a good weekend on TRK for like a big game, you might do 2 million impressions on, on, on Twitter alone. And like, you know, hundreds of replies and it's just, you know, you can kind of get stuck into it. So it's like, I wouldn't be on social media if I wasn't doing TRK because I think it's, it can be very, it's addictive, but it's, and at the same time, then it can kind of hurt you too. You can kind of get, you know, you can kind of put too much of yourself into it and end up, you know, feeling bad after being on Twitter and it shouldn't be that way, but you kind of have to do that sometimes. So now I've just started anytime I see somebody trolling or whatever else or trying to troll them in the dimensions, just like block, 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 block. And it's only because like, it's just people are entitled to their opinion on whatever, on monster. They think monsters shit. They think TRK shit, whatever, whatever. But it's like, you kind of don't really want to see it anymore. (laughs) It's just one of those things where you just have to, you just kind of have to block it and make it, you know, make it go away. Cause you just, it's a job. And you don't really want to have to be rooting through the sewer every day in the job either. So it's just like, if I can plug a hole <laughs> on a sewage pipe, I'll do it. So it's like, that's the worst part of it for me is, is the actual social media part of it. Cause I'm not very, I'm not a hugely outgoing person. Like, so it's just, and when it comes to, you know, social media, it's just a, a cost of doing business really. Yeah. I think that's probably a, a, a healthier, uh, way of doing things is just to kind of to, to have that cutting point where it's just there, there's no more because I think that it, it's something that probably affects us all really when when you kind of let yourself buy into it too much just on though some of like the interactions and all you know that in in probably in a, in a less toxic way I am actually very interested in the way you kind of do interact with kind of other media and different things and look we'll leave 
some maybe trolling articles we've all been reading in the last <laughs> few days aside. But I do kind of feel that there, there is something to your work that, or to, I suppose, as you said, the exaggerated personality of yourself that you put out on, on, um, on, on TRK that is like a kind of, there's a low bullshit threshold there. Like, you know, and that can come from both sides. That can come from, you know, the, maybe it's the Munster fans who think that they should be winning every game and every coach should be sacked after one bad performance and then it goes the other way where it, it might be that kind of like you know the bullshit journalism or the you know the attacks on you know the, the written for a very specific reason to get people talking there's kind of like you do kind of have that sort of let's come back to reality and let's let's you know kind of no nonsense sort of attitude uh, yeah, yeah, because like, as in that, that kind of stuff, it just kind of it just irritates me because it's it's easy to do that content, like you know, like when you see that stuff, like you see it in you know newspapers, like the Independent will say, um, not so much the Irish Times, it happens there sometimes, where you expect better because you know when I was growing up, like you'd always see the, the papers in the in the the, new, in the the shops, like and you'd see the Independent, you'd see the Irish Times and stuff, and you'd look and read those, and you'd think, geez, like these are the sort of the the, the you know the premier publications when it comes to writing about sport or whatever. So when you see some stuff like a lot of the stuff about CJ, for example, around the time of the the you know the the residency stuff, I just thought like some of that stuff was just just kind of low. Like you know, <laughs> I, I didn't agree with it myself. I could I could see why some people might have an issue with residency players, but for me, it kind of went too far into a kind of a personal thing. Means and then when you see. Yeah, and, and more of a kind of people kept on trying to say, look, it's nothing to do with CJ, but at the same time, you know, he's a person as well, a young fella coming over here making his life in Ireland, and you know, over here with his wife, and g- giving a lot to the people of Munster as well. And people can think that that's nonsense or whatever, but you know, if you see that stuff out there, you'll say it. And I'm sure, look, people have said, thought that I've some stuff that I've said in the past has been bullshit as well, and they've called me out too. You expect it if you give it out that you have to take it, but I think when it comes to Rugby covers, like I, I said early on, I was never going to do uh, scoops. That's the easy way to go about gaining followers and kind of, I suppose, influence early on is to sort of say, well, Munster are signing so and so fella, and you know, or, or a new coach or whatever, or somebody's leaving and whatnot. Because you know, everybody hears things every now and then, you know. But it's when you get them wrong that you could be right five times, ten times in a row, but you get it wrong once and you're a clown forever. And I just thought with that stuff, it's just, look, let's just stick to what is on Munster Rugby's site. Let's just go, look, they've announced this, now now we can talk about it. And not get involved in that other stuff, because I think a lot of that stuff, it's just, it looks like gimmicks to me, you know? Like where, because uh, I, I know I, I, I'm involved myself in gimmicks all the time, which are objectively stupid, like it's in the intensity stack and all this other stuff, which is just fun and games. But when it comes to when you're writing stuff to try and inflame other, like I could do that easily for like Leinster fans or whatever else, write articles that I know they'll hate, that I don't believe, but I get the, the, the traffic coming in and, you know, they'll be angry and they'll be all, they'll, all my Twitter account will be blowing up people saying, oh God, you know, he, you're trying to remonstrate with me and whatever else, but I wouldn't care about being right or wrong. All I would care about is the attention and the, traffic and the notoriety that would come with it because one thing always stands out to me I think it was around the time of um, Herbrandt Grobler and um, this was uh, when the news broke six months after he'd initially signed I remember even writing about it when I was doing my announcement piece on it um, and it all started flaring back up again 
and like my uh, thing at the time was and, and still is he did his time for us it was wrong he, he was punished very heavily for us but let's give him a chance now to come back and see what he's about and you know I'd been chatting away to this fellow he seemed like a lovely guy um, and you know I thought some of the attacks in him were going a little bit too far I, I was trying to put myself into the position of a fella who was 5,000 miles away from his friends and family a big man obviously getting paid you know good money to, to play a professional sport but at the same time you turn on the radio and you hear fellas going on about you know a fella like him isn't good enough you know you know, shouldn't be wearing the Munster jersey he's a disgrace and all this other stuff you know it went a little bit too far there's a conversation to be had about doping in sports but I think if people have been banned under the rules and were allowed to come back fair enough okay that's just my own thoughts on it because I've fucked up in my life God only knows how many times you don't end up you know, in the trouble I was in in Dublin with regards to being homeless in a hostel that I was fucking up plenty of times, I can guarantee you. But when it comes to, you know, when you've done your 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 time, you're, you've been, you're, 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 you're trying to rehab yourself, I think it becomes, you know, okay, look, bit of criticism here, but I think it went too far. I think it went to kind of a, a week too far in the news cycle. But to give you an idea as to how valuable um, controversy is, um, there was a bit of a dust-up with Paul Kimmage had tagged me in some the tweet he'd done. I can't remember. He wrote some overall article about it at the time. Typical stuff. But, like, uh, the controversy in the build-up in, the, in, in his tweet to me and then my response back to him, hundreds of new followers, like, I think it was something like 20 Patreon subscribers off the back of it. Like, controversy creates money which you can then see why people write articles the way they do because it doesn't matter if, it, if you mean it or it's true or not or whatever it, the model works of creating a controversial moment talking about it and then you know if, you're, if, if you are the controversy there's money to be made from it but it's just exhausting to me and I'd rather talk about the rugby what goes on inside the field for 80 minutes rather than write you know 800 words wondering you know well, what's Who's going to sign for Munster next week? You know, to me, to me, that all that stuff is boring, and it's just kind of, it, it's kind of artificial. You know, it's kind of like uh, you're not getting, you're not learning anything, you're not getting anything good, you're not, you know, just something positive about it usually. And I'd rather just deal with look what happened on the field on Saturday, what might happen on the field next Saturday, and everything else is just kind of, everything else is kind of irrelevant to me, really. Absolutely. Well, listen, it's been great talking to you, Tom. Thanks so much. Where, where is, uh, where should people be going to to, to read your stuff? Well, uh, twitter.com forward slash Tree Red Kings. If you want to join on there and you know either have a kind of a, a hate follow or whatever, <laughs> just get on there and just get into it. Or patreon.com forward slash Tree Red Kings for the majority of my analysis stuff and you know podcasts and other detailed things go on. Um, for just two euro a month. So thanks very much for having me on, lads. No, brilliant stuff, and and no, no hate follows actually just to the listeners here. We're trying to we're trying to downplay <laughs> tox- toxicity on the internet here. This is <laughs> yeah. that's a terrible message to be sending out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thanks so much for for taking the time, and uh, sure, sure, best of luck to Munster with the rest of the season. There's still there's still possible uh, trip to Glasgow that could be fun um, to come before. Oh, between Christ, that'll be uh, against Glasgow. Wouldn't that be hairy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, still probably oh have God. more Munster fans there. But anyway, <laughs> probably yeah. Thanks so much, Tom. All right, lad. Thanks a million. Thank you.
that was absolutely fascinating stuff there from tom savage as he mentioned there you can get his stuff on patreon um just search three red kings on twitter uh one of the best twitter accounts out there um and just really really interesting stuff morris um i have to say one of the things we, we there's lots we can talk about there but one of the things was that um you know talking about kind of like that urge or not the urge but just the knowledge that like just writing something that you know people will want to read for good or bad but like it might not be what you believe in yourself it's so funny you feel like you see it a lot and it is something that it's kind of like you know we've had conversations sometimes there's like you know it's like you'll always say look don't be writing things that you don't actually believe yourself because you're gonna find that very hard to stand by yeah you know I get, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's it's really interesting, I suppose, when you look at, like, sports running as a whole, and I think, like, hot take culture, you know, like, yeah. hot, like there is a, a fundamental, like, there is a real kind of, a really obvious attraction in being different or taking a different slant, like, the, it's such, it's the, you know, the classic example, like, it's such a format, you know, this thing that you actually like is terrible and I'm going to tell you why, like, it's, we spoke about Avengers at the start of the thing, there's been plenty of that kind of, <laughs> kind of hot takey examples kind of on that, and, like, I do think it's, it's really obvious when it's not authentic or when it's not kind of, yeah. obvious. but if it is, I actually think that sometimes they can be really compelling and well-written stuff, and I think there's examples like, Tom referenced, um, and Paul Kimmage there, like, uh, I, patently, every time I read Paul Kimmage, the only thing I'm, I'm, I'm never in doubt about is the fact that he truly believes w- w- what yeah. he's writing. And it gives a real weight to his writing. I, like, I'd necessarily actually disagree on that point. But as, as a whole... No, you can disagree. That's the point, isn't it? It's just once you trust the writer, exactly, you'll never yeah. fall out with them if you really think that this is this is his honest belief. And, and you're dead right about Kimmage. Like, I mean, that's like, you know, you can disagree. You can absolutely disagree with what somebody's saying. But if you fully believe, you can disagree with them even most of the time. But if you fully believe that they're invested in what they're saying and they believe it, you'll stick with them. You're not going to fall out with them then. You know what I mean? You might heartily disagree. And I think Paul's someone who's like that a lot. And I have to say, listening to Tom there, I think he's somebody who's like that a lot. And he mentioned it himself. And it's funny because we were talking about Grobler there. And I was going to come in and kind of have a little bit of an argument. And I just didn't feel like it was the place. And I feel very differently about him, about, about Grobler. But then we let him talk and then you know he bring tom brought up his own story and i was like there is a conversation to be had in sport in general about redemption and about you know about a second chance that probably isn't talked about enough in the kind of black and white doping is bad dope you know or or like anyone who allows dopers back is part of the problem etc etc you know i might be on a different side of that argument but i'd actually be interested in having it you know and i think that that's something we need to talk a little bit about more is that to stop having everything so black and white yeah like the even on the global thing right i mean the like the you can agree with certain elements of of tom's argument and also disagree them. like you can agree that none of that stuff should have been personalized uh, you know if it was or if you were to look at it as a black and white issue like should a doper in a physical sport be allowed to come back after two years I'd argue not. But the the point, I actually think there's a much more fundamental point to all of this, is the fact that it's okay to disagree with him. Like, you don't have to turn into a raven lunatic and start calling him every name under the sun. Like, it's, we're not going to... This is a basic, basic idea. We're getting down a rabbit hole here, but it's a basic idea. I love it. That you have to... 
agree with every single thing that they always say or they're you know some sort of asshole like it's okay like, it's, it's actually fine yeah if we're not you're not in the same wavelength as long as you can kind of disagree amicably and also understand that where it's coming from and that it's kind of well thought out and coherent and all that kind of thing absolutely couldn't agree with you more listen i hope people enjoyed um what was like a really really brilliant um story from from tom there and i hope people do read his stuff i hope mm-hmm. you also read our stuff and 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 listen to our stuff every week where we bring you our, our rugby stuff we've got a lot to look forward to this weekend we've barely talked about it but uh, are you looking forward to the what are they called semi-final playoffs yeah i mean something like that? like that are I, they quarterfinals i think the like monster the one of the best games of the year could have been monster benetton if it, i think it was spoiled by a referee but i think the as in terms of style matchup um nice boxing reference there, there it couldn't be better and it's, it's a game i'm really looking forward to i think even if you're not a fan of the property you should watch that game Absolutely, yeah. So that's that's on and in in Thomond. And what about Connacht's chances in Ulster? They've won once there in like seven hundred and forty-seven years, but it was this season. Yeah, which going back to that point about um, <laughs> or was about, it last season? Uh, going back to no, it was, <laughs> it was last October. Going back to the point about Ulster's and their scrum. I think Martin Moore's absence is massive. I, I'd give Connacht a, a, a real shout there. That could like two really good games. It could be worse. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There's there's something to look forward to. Look, we've a few. We've and then you know we'll start our build up to to Leinster and Saracens. We talked enough about it last week, but we just have to enjoy the Pro 14 for a couple of weeks and then on we go. But we'll be back with you next week. Uh, keep an eye on balls all week for um from some good rugby stuff um from Morris in the main and also uh come back to us um tomorrow on your feed because we'll be back with um we'll be back with our GA podcast, the Tree Man Weave, where we've have lots of good stuff too. Until then have a good day